0: Welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. I am honoured to be joined today by Professor David Veal, a consultant psychiatrist in London who specialises in obsessive compulsive disorder. As you might already know, I've frustratingly suffered from this mental health condition for many years now, but it always amazes me how little people actually know about it. The aim of this episode is to ask Professor Veal the questions you might have never had the opportunity to ask, and to educate those of you who might want to know more about the condition and how you might be able to treat it. So whether it's beneficial for you or for a friend, I hope that this episode with Professor David Veal helps put OCD into simple terms. Can you describe what OCD is? I mean, we all know that um, it's very casually thrown around as a term that when people say, oh, I'm so OCD, I can't walk on a ladder or I can't walk on the cracks on the pavement. But what does it really mean when you actually suffer from OCD?
1: OCD is a condition characterized by the presence of obsessions, compulsions, and usually both. And it's also usually characterized by avoidance behavior. So an obsession is a distressing, intrusive thought, image, sensations, urges that can be triggered by perhaps particular objects or events. It may just be a thought that just pops into your head and they're frequent unwanted, distressing, and usually against your values and difficult to control, or get rid of. So an example might be uh, a sensation of your hands being contaminated with a bodily fluid, or doubts that you've just run over a cyclist, or an image of stabbing your baby, or a strong urge to have objects placed in a particular order so they feel just right. You know, there are many different types of obsessions. And they're not simply worries or about real life problems. They're ways you try to prevent imagined harm, or to avoid a feeling of disgust or to avoid a feeling of just not right. So the other side of the coin of OCD is the compulsions, acts that you do repeatedly. They can either be observed by others for example checking a door is locked until you feel comfortable or it can be a mental compulsion that cannot be observed for example uh, saying a certain phrase in your mind and the belief that will prevent something bad from happening and the third part I'm saying is the avoidance behavior so you may be avoiding situations to try and prevent feeling anxious and not having to carry out a compulsion or just it, it just prevents from triggering an obsession.
0: What do you think are the most common forms of compulsions that you come across? And what are some of the most unusual ones that you've come across?
1: Oh, so the most common ones are things like hand washing and cleaning, checking, especially things that try to prevent harm, like door locks and seeking reassurance. Those are the most common ones. But mental compulsions are also very common. And these are usually things like trying to repeat a certain phrase or some sort of magical thinking to try to prevent some harm from happening. Um, What's the most unusual one? Ooh, I think I'll have to come back to that one. I can't think of something immediately to my mind, but they can get extremely complex, especially the ones done in one's head. And my only observation is that the more intelligent you are, the worse the mental compulsions are, because you don't have to do them physically. You can just do them all in your head. And so it just makes it worse, more complex.
0: And do you identify a particular person who is more susceptible to OCD? What character traits do they tend to exhibit?
1: Oh, well, that's even more tricky. I mean, part of the problem is just being human. Um, because you know you don't get OCD in crocodiles and rats and things. Uh, we've got a tricky brain. You know the loops that we develop in our mind are very difficult to manage. And you know don't forget heritability—that at least forty percent is probably inherited from your parents, and you can blame them. And, but that's not particularly helpful. And then just stuff that happens during life that's going to shape you, whether it's being bullied or criticised or abused or all sorts of stuff that shapes you. So there's no particular personality or characteristic as such that's associated with OCD. But there are lots of things in the jigsaw, many of which we don't know.
0: So what if someone said to you, why do I have OCD? Why does someone develop OCD? What would your answer be?
1: Bad luck it's not your fault you know you didn't ask to be born human you didn't ask to be born with the genes you've got you didn't ask to be shaped as a child in the way that you've been shaped so there are lots of many different pieces of the jigsaw and there's no you can't get to the bottom of it all usually it's lots of different things that come together to make a perfect storm
0: So when people tell me, they say, oh, well, the reason you have OCD is because you're just trying to control the uncontrollable. So when you accept that you can't control the external world and you just begin to let go, you know, essentially you should be satisfied and you should be fixed. So I was told yesterday by a practitioner that, well, the only reason that you're basically holding yourself back is because you've just got to accept the fact that you can't control the uncontrollable. What would be your response to that?
1: Well, at one level... That may be true, but you can't just stop it. Um, these are learned patterns of thinking and behaviour that have been with you for many years. And it takes a lot of courage and practice to try to test out new ways of approaching things. And, yeah, sure, it's, it is about, for many people, giving up control, but you can't just do it. You know, It takes time and practice and courage.
0: So how do you treat someone with OCD? What would be the first thing that you would do? And then how would it evolve?
1: Well, there are two treatments that are recommended and shown to be effective. The first of these is cognitive behaviour therapy, which is specific for OCD. So the first step there is to have a good understanding of what the problem is and what's keeping it going. And the issue is that the person with OCD is usually treating the wrong problem. They're treating it as if they've got a dangerous contamination problem or they've got a problem with being a paedophile and really treating it as such. Whereas, of course, the problem is one of worry and the anxiety and your solutions are what makes your obsessional doubts and fears worse. It particularly tries to target the things that you are avoiding, the things, your compulsions and the way you ruminate and it consists of various tasks and exposure and experiments that are challenging and test out your fears, helping you to spoil your compulsions and trying to get you out of your rabbit holes of trying to work out exactly what's going on. It is hard work, but your OCD can be overcome. Second main treatment is SSRIs, which are variously often known as antidepressants, but actually they're being used to reduce anxiety, often in higher doses and for at least three months to determine whether they are working. Neither treatment is perfect, but most people, at least two thirds will get some benefit from either or both treatments. And if one set of treatment doesn't work, then we can always try a different approach and so on, up to more intensive programs. So if you have OCD, you must get seek help. And there is definitely help available. I suppose we are mainly focusing on the treatment with the most severe treatment refractory at the top of the pyramid. And that's where it gets more tricky. But, you know, for the many people lower down the pyramid who are just identifying it and haven't had any treatment no, there's definitely a lot of hope out there. You know, obviously some people take longer, but it is, the, you know, there are treatable
0: conditions. And when someone's suffering from really chronic OCD, what do you advise them to do?
1: First of all, you'd want to know what treatments they've had so far, and whether they've been optimised and whether they've been given in the most helpful way. Usually making sure you get more of the same but done in the optimum way and in a more intensive way by perhaps a more experienced therapist, more frequently in terms of how it's delivered, help in terms of trying to do the tasks. So it depends on the individual.
0: I just want to take a quick moment to say a big thank you to my wonderful sponsor, Bowden. Bowden is a British brand that has championed uplifting, eclectic british style since it was founded 31 years ago perhaps it's time to add to your collection this autumn with some new knitwear maybe with a modern twist such as a puff sleeve i've just indulged in a new ultra soft cashmere which i can honestly tell you i'll be living in this winter but what i love most about the brand is that they've always championed women from a variety of different backgrounds and seek to inspire them to enjoy a life well lived which is exactly what I'm aiming to do with my podcast. Head to boden.com to check out their new autumn collection or to their Instagram at Bowden underscore clothing. So I'm, because I'm very interested in this because having had really chronic OCD myself, I am curious as to why there isn't more hands-on help available, especially in the UK, whereby... You have a mentor or you have someone who can actually do the exposure tasks with you because it's very, very challenging doing those tasks when you are just drowning essentially in OCD.
1: I think the problem is that when we've got so many people with OCD, most of the resources go to people the milder, moderate end of the spectrum. There are resources for people with severe chronic complex problems usually in uh, inpatient or residential units. Sometimes it's possible to organise an outpatient, but it's quite difficult just to to do that in terms of it's very resource-intensive.
0: And are there any inpatient facilities in the UK that are open to people?
1: We have one residential unit at the Bethlehem Royal where it is important that you don't... that you must be able to be... Uh, not require nursing care, in other words, that you're not suicidal and that you are able to look after yourself to a certain degree, if you need more inpatient care than on the NHS, it's at the Springfield Hospital. We do have a ward for OCD in the private sector at the Nightingale Hospital, but these it is limited in terms of what resources are available.
0: And why do you think that is? Is it because OCD is not really a well trodden path for many medical practitioners in the sense that it's very, very hard to treat? Yeah. And it's very hard to master. I mean, you yourself are probably one of the, I'd say, the leading lights in the world of OCD in the UK. But a lot of doctors, in my experience, and therapists tend to shy away from it because it is very multifaceted and a lot of it is very covert if you've got the imaginary side of the compulsions with the magical thinking. So where can we go from here? What do you see as being the best way forward?
1: Well, I think one of the problems is, as I think you've identified, is that people don't take OCD related problems seriously enough. We've got other services, for example, our like eating disorders, which are quite well organised and there are specialist regional centres all over the country. And we've got specialist services in neuropsychiatry or brain organic problems and things like that. And yet we just don't have the training programs and uh, specialist services at a regional level, for example, all over the country. That is what we need because, we, you know, we're, it's trying to get the right people who, who want to do this as a passion for their career and we just don't have the right structure at the moment that is for the next generation
0: and are any advances being made in terms of neuroscience and research into the brain about OCD and how treatment can become more effective and slightly more condensed and directive i guess
1: well i have to say that unfortunately again is to do with lack of investment and OCD is underinvested in terms of research And there are lots of pockets and signs of particular new treatments, new developments, and so on. But trying to actually translate that into a treatment that's available for all does take time and and proper evaluation and so on. And it does just, it is very frustrating. And all these things do take time. And I don't see anything immediately on the horizon that's really going to translate into. Uh, significant improvements. I'm very interested in things like psilocybin and other psychedelics, which may be able to assist therapy, particularly when they're one-off and so on. That's going, I think is quite a promising development, but it needs a lot more research in terms of how often you have to have it exactly what sort of dose is helpful, whether you can really combine it with the CBT at the same time and so on. So it's uh, I suppose another 10, 20 years or so before we get that licensed or properly evaluated. It's very depressing, really. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Don't you worry. No, I mean, it's in a way reassuring to hear for someone who hasn't really responded that well to treatment and is left feeling like a slight anomaly. And you can have some of the best help in the world and you make tiny, tiny shifts. And yet you're still very preoccupied by the thoughts the majority of the time and they're these demons that do live on in your head and it's very very hard to keep going at times because you feel that you know when someone's thrown everything at a problem and you're still you know only a tenth of the way to where you want to be it's a challenge
1: yes I wouldn't forget actually all the lifestyle Changes that can be made and help in improving relationships and friendships and with your family and so on, because all these things are really important in helping OCD as well. So lifestyle things just means things like sleep, being able to, you know, get to bed at a reasonable time and get up in the morning at a reasonable time. Uh, Things like good diet, not eating crap and junk food all the time, being able to improve relationships friendships particularly in terms of helping the family so there's lots of pieces in the jigsaw that can all be part of that
0: yeah and I think a lot of it stems from a lack of self-compassion and self-love and actually if you can work on that slowly some of the behaviors and the compulsive element of OCD they do just start to dissipate a bit
1: yes and but the problem as you know Easy. It's very difficult to develop those skills, especially when you are very anxious and depressed. Because in order to practice them, you know, you have to be able to act against, you know, your OCD bully and everything else. And being able to develop that self compassion is very tricky and tough when you've got OCD very strong.
0: And you touched on psychedelics, and that leads me on to my point about um, I wanted to ask you about neuroplasticity. Can you explain why the concept of neuroplasticity is quite important in the treatment of OCD? It's
1: essentially one in which are you able to develop new pathways, like a a new fresh sprinkling of snow on existing old routes that you've taken in the past? And it's therefore, it depends a little bit on how flexible you are in your thinking and willing to tolerate emotion. Because if those are set and, and, and you're able to do those things, then it makes it a lot easier to be able to find new pathways. You know?
0: Yeah. Why do some people respond to antidepressants or SSRIs as they're called, whereas other people tend to get real results from them?
1: God only knows. <laughs> Why are some people responsive to CBT? and, and I mean, to be honest... We know that some of the things that, well, that might be associated with poor prognosis are just not responding, but we don't really know why. I mean, it's probably genetically related, depending upon what particular genes you have.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Professor Veal, it's been an absolutely fascinating time that we spent with you, and you're also an ambassador and a trustee of OCD Action. Hmm. Where can people find that? And I know that that's a big resource for help, which I certainly didn't know about up until very recently. um, And I think needs to be marketed and pushed out there a lot more. So where can people find you there?
1: It's uh, the website is www.ocdaction.org. And there's also a YouTube channel. And that's got quite a few videos from past conferences. We've got a book on overcoming OCD it's very long it's about 600 pages of advice and help and that's written by myself and Rob Wilson
0: brilliant well thank you so much for your time today and thank you very very much for all the great work that you do thank you thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101 just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission.